And tonight we kind of reminded in the book of Judges that there's just some kind of unpleasant, ugly stuff in the human experience. When you look at chapters 9 and 10 as a whole, they're like a parenthetical part of the book because after this, we get Jephna, we get Samson, and we get some pretty good stuff. And again, the book of Judges covers about a 400-year time period between 1500 BC when the Jews came into the Promised Land under Joshua till the time of King Saul and the time of the kings around 1100 BC. And it's just a time where there's these different judges that are raised up by God. They are empowered by the Spirit. They, they all have a different legacy they leave behind. They're on record for us. Some of them we get like one or two verses, like Shamgar, and then others we get chapters. And tonight we don't really get, well, we, we will get a couple of judges in chapter 10, but chapter 9 we get the story of Abimelech and his conspiracy. So as we go through this, we're just reminded yet again that the Bible is such a real book. It's God really revealing men and humanity the way we are, recording history the way it is, inspired by the Holy Spirit for us in the book of Judges. And I'm sure there's some good things that God's going to speak to us tonight as we look at unpleasant things, because they are unpleasant. But we've been through some unpleasant things, and life brings us unpleasant things, and there's a right way to be even when things are difficult, and that's what we want to keep getting from the book of Judges. So chapter 9, verse 1 we left off with Gideon stepping into eternity. We left off with that, that Gideon did good for all the good he had done for Israel. His legacy was good. Then Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, and that's another name for Gideon, went to Shechem to his mother's brothers. And he spoke with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, which is better for you? that all the 70 of the sons of Jerubbabel, or that is Gideon, reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember that I am your own flesh and bone. And his mother's brother spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, and their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. So they gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of baal Bereth which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. Then he went to his father's house, Gideon, excuse me, um, Gideon's house at Oprah, and killed his brothers, the 70 sons of Jerubbabel, on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbabel, was left because he hid himself. And all the men of Shechem gathered together, all of Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. This is our introduction to Abimelech. Last week when we left off in chapter 8, we saw that Gideon had 70 sons from a number of wives. He refused to be a king. He diffused the whole idea that he'd be a king, but he did multiply wives and children. And he had Abimelech, who was his birth son, by a woman who was a concubine. So in the battle for between if you're talking about monarchs, the battle between princes who could be king, he's not even in the line because he's not from any of the mothers. So like when David died and you've got children from Solomon, well, Solomon comes from Bathsheba and other children, it's more of a battle. Like and if you study European history, and again, monarchs like Peter the Great or more like Catherine the Great and her descendants or even the other ones of the Romanov family in Russia or Frederick and all the, the family of the 
uh, the Prussians and the Polish kings and, and certainly the, all the French kings and Louis the Sun King, they had many children from many wives. And when a king would die, different people in different places of position would conspire together to who could seize power to control the kingdom. That's what you would get with kings. And whether it's Mongolians or the Chinese dynasties, it's the same thing. There's nothing new under the sun. And in the book of Kings and Chronicles with the Bible, we see this with the time of kings from about 1000, excuse me, like 931 BC after Solomon dies until they go into captivity, 586 BC, the southern kingdom. We see all these conniving, conspiracies, treason, all these things for power. Men love power. What's interesting about this is this is the book of Judges, and we got someone who's going to make himself a king. Now, God never meant for them to have a king. He gave them Saul hundreds of years later because they begged for a king. And eventually he gave him David, who was a much better king, who had a heart for the Lord. And that's what made David so great. And eventually God gives us the great king, Jesus Christ, his son, who comes from the house of David, who is the true king, king of the Jews on the cross, and the king of kings when he's coming in glory to rule and reign over planet earth. And who is the king to be the king of our hearts tonight? Who is the king ever seated at the right hand of the father until he comes in glory? He's our king. He's king of this kingdom. We're citizens of heaven. We're ambassadors of Christ. And he's king over us. That's the real king, the true king. And he's coming. And all the evil we know in our land, and our timeline, he will deal with it. And every knee will bow before the king, our king, King Jesus. In this case, it's just men conniving and striving before the time of kings, even in the covenant that God had with Israel. This is Abimelech, the son of a concubine, and he persuades the people from his community. It's sort of like if you come, if your hometown's Huntington Beach and you're going to run for mayor and you grew up with everybody, you went to Huntington High and you had friends at Marina and Edison, all this kind of stuff, and you were involved in these different things and you're running for the mayor, like you would use your connections. Like if your family owned, you know, Jan's on Main Street and they own this over here and this muffler business there and this car repair. Like you would use those connections to come to power to to be in charge of the city. That's what you would do. That's just kind of like basic politics. So here what Abimelech does is he goes to the t- communities where he's from. They all know him and he says, look, what's better? Me, we all went to high school together, class of 1979. We're all Lancers here in Carlsbad. That's my school. We all well, we're, we're like, you would have that. Today we had a guy at our house who went to Carlsbad High, 2007, 2008. I'm like, oh, class of 79. He was commenting on my Charger hat. I said, oh, he's like, I like your hat. I'm like, well, San Diego, she's from Cardiff. I'm from Carlsbad. Oh, I'm from Carlsbad. There you go. You identify with that. Hey, Carlsbad, class of 79. Although I didn't graduate, but it still counts for something. I was a Lancer. He's, years later, we're like, oh, Carlsbad, Elm Street. He mentioned Elm Street. Anyone remember Elm Street? All streets before Carlsbad Village Drive. So you have Tamarack, Chestnut, Sycamore. Carlsbad was all the trees. Carlsbad Village Drive, when I was growing up, was Elm Street. So if I run for office in Carlsbad, I know everybody like, hey, everyone, you know, like, that's what it's like. That's Abimelech. He's like, you know me. We went to high school together. We were at high school dances together. Like, we cruised together. Like, we surfed together. Tamarack, like, that's what he's doing. He's like, so what's better? Me, who you know, or somebody that lives east of I-5. That was the same back in the 80s. There's no life east of I-5 if you lived on the coast. Do you want them to be telling you what to do? Do you want me? I went to school with you. We're from the same town. 
We speak the same slangs. Which is better? And they're like, of course, you, you're better. You're of us. Well, you know, we know your mom. You're, you're, you're us. We're the DNA. We're the same man. You're like this. By the way, with the surf industry companies in the last 30 years, they were all started by people that surfed. And they had friends around them who surfed. And then all these corporate yahoos bought them and took them over and brought in people that didn't surf and told all these surfers what to do to grow up and quit being surfers and start being businessmen. And so, you know, the worst thing that could happen with a surf company is if some corporate person came in who's from New York or like Oklahoma, and they're going to tell all, this, all these companies what to do. Well, as soon as that spreads out to the surf shops, the surf shops are surfers like, we're not carrying your line. Go sell it at Walmart in Oklahoma City. That's how it works in the human experience, right? Can you relate to me? That's how we are. So Abimelech just, he's like, hey, I got an opportunity here. You want one of these 70 people you don't know from a background you don't know? Or do you want me to be running the show? They're like, you, because you're from us. We can all understand how that happens. But the thing about power with men and women who lust for power, they never seem to have enough. And they'll do anything to strengthen their power and expand their power. So whether it's just someone in charge of the restaurant that you work in, and they run the restaurant like they think they own Russia or something. You ever had a boss like that? You work in a restaurant. There's four of us here. What do you think? You're the czar or something? Are you Putin? What's the deal? Like, why, why are you acting like... And it's amazing how people get like that. Men and women love power. But remember what Jesus said. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and give us a life, a ransom for many. So it's really important for us as the church of Jesus Christ to remember that God appoints one man and uh, removes another. And if he wants to exalt us, he exalts us. If he wants to bring us down, he's going to bring us down. But either way, he resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. And Abimelech is anything but humble right here. What he's doing and what he's conniving and conspiring is anything but good. It's the pride, it's the commonality of humanity, the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, in their sinful nature, striving, conniving, plotting, and conspiring for power at all cost. Whether it's to run this little restaurant to run a city, run a country, or be masters of the universe with what they've done. And that's the same in every generation. We could teach this text in any generation of church history for the last 2,000 years, and you could bring up Abimelech, and somebody in that congregation is thinking of someone they know who thinks they're Abimelech. And right now in 24 time zones, whether we're the body of Christ in Cambodia or Mongolia or China or Ukraine, when we're teaching this text right now, like the Markey brothers in Kiev teaching this text, there are people listening who are picturing their boss, the apartment manager, or somebody else who is just like Abimelech. So we can all picture an Abimelech, just don't be Abimelech. We don't need to conspire to come to power. We need to serve the Lord and trust in the Lord. And if he wants to raise us up like Joseph from the prison to the palace in one day, let him do that. God's working on us for eternity in his kingdom. We don't need to conspire to be a queen or a king. If God wants to raise us up, let him raise us up. If he doesn't, why would you? Who wants to be a leader without Jesus leading them? We want to be led so we can lead. But if we're not led, why would we want to lead? We don't want to settle for anything less than what God wants us to be. And we certainly don't want to strive for anything more than what God wants us to be. Because all that we're meant to be is in our lane, fulfilling what he's called us to do. When we strive for more, we're getting out of our lane and we're playing bumper cars in other people's business. So 
what's begun in the flesh will reap corruption. And look what he does. They gave him 70 pieces of silver from the temple of Baal Bereth. They have money from idols. These are still Jews. So they're taking money from not just the world, like government funds or something. They're taking money from false religion to empower this person to become king because it's hard to come to power without money, right? The two tend to go together. So they're giving him the money. And then what does he do with the money? He does what all worthless, evil leaders do. Conspires and hires worthless and evil people. I've mentioned this before, and it's not a history lesson, but when Hitler and the Nazis, and particularly the SS, special forces of the SS, when the Germans, after they conquered Poland, they went into the Baltic Republic, Estonia, Latvia, and they, and they went into that region of the Baltic Republic. And what they did is they released all the most violent, hardened criminals imaginable, like those at Pelican Bay in Northern California, like Charles Manson, and they released them, and then they empowered them to go and kill all the Jews. That's what they did. That's what evil leaders do, and that's what they, is their fruit. They empower wicked, worthless people to do wicked, worthless things, which sounds a lot like what we see in our world right now. We see evil people in power, empowering even people more wicked than them with wicked, evil things. That's what they do. So what Abimelech's doing here shouldn't surprise us at all. But know this, and they made him king. <laughs> they, they had a bad beginning with their finances. They followed an evil man who empowered evil people to do evil things to strengthen his power. That just sounds so 2021. And they made him king. Wicked people empowered a wicked man to be their king, to do wicked things and empower more wicked people. But we know that God says he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And there's a way that seems right to men, but the end there by his death. And even in godless societies where the church didn't really have a strong influence, wherever human beings come to power like this and exercise their power and, and punish humanity with that power, they generally, well, you like to think they don't last long, but sometimes they do. The Soviet Union lasted, had, a, had quite a run for their evil over 50 million innocent people killed. But the irony of that, by the way, and you should know this, and I, Mikhail Gorbachev, who brought down the Soviet Union, he was the head of the, uh, the Russian Communist Party, Mikhail Gorbachev. Mikhail Gorbachev is Ukrainian. Ukrainians historically don't like Russians, by the way, if you don't know your Eastern European history. Mikhail Gorbachev's grandparents, both from his mother's side and father's side, were put in the gulags of Siberia by Joseph Stalin. Joseph Stalin, in his purge of ideologies contrary to his, he put Mikhail Gorbachev's grandparents, both sets, in the gulags of Siberia. And ironically, a generation later, Mikhail Gorbachev is this brilliant mind coming out of Ukraine, rises in the Soviet Union, the USSR, goes to university in Moscow, becomes more and more powerful, and eventually becomes the director of the Communist Party, 
After Chernobyl happens and all the corruption within the Soviet system manifests itself by almost destroying all of Europe, he, in his full power, brings down the Soviet Union with Pestroika and Glasnost. Glasnost is transparency. Pestroika was like the new beginning. Isn't that ironic? Isn't it amazing to think the mighty Soviet Union wasn't brought down by the United States? It was brought down by Mikhail Gorbachev, whose grandparents were taken away to Siberia under the purges of Stalin. From the very within was their end. And that's going to tie into this story tonight because there's nothing new under the sun. So all the Christians that served the Lord Jesus Christ from the time of the Bolsheviks, 1916, and the fall of the Tsar and the Romanovs and all, all that happened, Nicholas and Alexandra, and all that happened after that, Lenin, Trotsky, and all that stuff, Stalin, all of it, the Ukrainian food famine and all, all the evil they did. In the end, it all came to an end in 1989 by Mikhail Gorbachev that God allowed. So it, a bad beginning can never be a good ending. A bad beginning can never be a good ending. And if it begins in the flesh with unbelief, conspiracy, and idolatry, it can never have a good ending. But if it begins in the spirit with faith and love and unity, it can change the world like the Calvary Chapel movement. You see? Now we read on. Now, when Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and lifted his voice and cried out and said to them, listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went forth to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, should I cease giving my oil with which they, they honor God and men and go sway over trees? Then the tree the tree said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, should I seize my sweetness and my good fruit and go sway over trees? Then the tree said to the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, should I seize my new wine, which cheers both God and men and go sway over trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, you come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now, therefore... If you have acted in truth and sincerity, making Abimelech king, and you have dealt well with Zerubbabel and his house, and have done to him as he deserves, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you out of the hand of Midian. But if you have risen up against my father's house this day and killed his 70 sons on one stone and made Abimelech the son of his female servant king over the men of Shechem, because he is your brother, if then you have acted in truth and sincerity with Zerubbabel and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not... Let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled. And he went to Beer and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech and his brothers. He's running for his life, but he's got one final post on his social media. <laughs> if I speak truth and you guys are evil, then may Abimelech devour Shechem and Shechem devour Abimelech. May you devour one another. And isn't this interesting in the cancel culture of the last 10 years in the woke mob? And this really isn't the context, but it's worth noting. Have you noticed how they devour one another? They don't just devour people who stand for the 
the gospel of Jesus Christ and the things that are good, just, noble, praiseworthy, they devour their own. It's almost comical, but it's really not. And if you think, you know, like if, when you think something's funny, and I've been convicted of this lately, don't rejoice over the demise of evil people because in the end, you just bring wrath upon yourself. We're told not to rejoice when bad things happen to bad people. It's easy to rejoice when bad things happen to bad people. And it's easy to laugh when things are funny that happen to bad people. But I'm like, nah. Because when you laugh at something that happens to a bad person, yeah, be careful it happened to you. It can happen to you. So there's a self-preservation element in that. Like, don't, don't rejoice when bad things happen to bad people. It just bad things happen to bad people because they're bad. And they got what they deserve. But there's no joy in that for them, for me, or anyone else. Jesus didn't die on the cross so we can cheer for a bad ending, even for bad people. Jesus died on the cross that we can cheer for a good ending, even for bad people. And that's why some of us are still alive. So we don't laugh when we think something's funny that happens to bad people. Because the the cancel culture cancels themselves. They're out of control. They're demonic and they're delusional. And it's almost entertaining, but it's tragic. And we live at this time to see this happen. The Nazis implode on themselves. The Soviets implode on themselves. Marxists, communists. When you're only out for number one, eventually the people you build your coalition with, it's shaking, you devour and turn on one another. It's what happens. But the church is not like that. Christ on the cross and the empty tomb is not like that. Tongues of fire on the day of Pentecost is not like that. We're not like this. And we definitely don't want Bramble and evil men ruling over us. So even if Bramble and evil men rule over the land, let Christ rule over us. Jotham got his last words in. He posted it and he ran. But he, you know, he posted it. He put it out there. And then he went in hiding, but he put it out there. In in the marketplace of thought, he 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 gave them something to think about in the marketplace of thought. And even if we don't post this in the marketplace of thought, this is the way the universe works. Abimelech will devour Shechem, and Shechem will devour Abimelech, and those who cancel others themselves will be canceled. Those who build up and encourage others and help others, they themselves will be built up, encouraged, and established. For as a man or woman sows, it's exactly what they reap. So in an evil time, Keep ourselves far from evil. Let Christ reign and let his thoughts be our thoughts. And discipline ourselves not to be moved from our confidence in him. And again, I go to the psalm where the psalm said, I would have lost heart when I looked at what's going on around me, but then I came in the house of the Lord and you reminded me the end of evil. And we're reminded tonight, the end of evil. This text is the fulfillment of that psalm. I think it's 71 or 73. This is that fulfillment. This is, this is going to be the end of evil. But man, they are, when, it's just hard to watch evil people have a lot of power. It's hard to watch that. It's hard to watch evil people with a lot of power crush good things that are true, dressed, noble, and praiseworthy. But we have to step back and know that what men mean for evil, God will use for good, and that's what the gospel is all about. Verse 23, we read on. After Abimelech had reigned over Israel three years, God sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the crime done to the 70 sons of Jerubbabel might be settled, and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem, who aided him in the killing of his brothers. 
And the men of Shechem set men in ambush against him on the tops of the mountains. They robbed all who passed by them along the way, and it was told of Abimelech. Now Gaal, the son of Ebed, came with his brothers and went over to Shechem. And the, to the men of Shechem put their confidence, and the men of Shechem, and the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. So they went out to the fields and gathered grapes from their vineyards and trod and made merry. And they went into the house of their God and ate and drank and cursed Abimelech. Then Gaal, the son of Ebed, say, Who is Abimelech and who is Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubbabel and is he not Zebulah's officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? If only this people were under my authority, then it would be, then I would remove Abimelech. So he said to Abimelech, Increase your army and come out. When Zubal, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gaal, the son of Ebed, his anger was aroused. He's like the mayor. And he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Take note, Gaal, the son of Ebed, and his brothers have come to Shechem, and here they are fortifying the city against you. Now therefore get up by night, you and the people who are with you, and lie in wait in the field. And it shall be as soon as the sun is up in the morning that you shall rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people are with him come out against you, you may do to them as you find opportunity. So Abimelech and all the people who were with him rose by night, lay in wait against Shechem in four companies. When Gaal, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance to the city gate, Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from lying in wait. And when Gaal saw the people, he said to Zubal, Look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. But Zebul said to him, Oh, you see the shadows of the mountains as if they were men. So Gaal spoke again and said, See, people are coming down from the center of the land. Another company is coming from the diviner's terebinth tree. Then Zubal said to him, Where indeed is your mouth now? With which you said, Who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despise? Go out, if you will, and fight them now. So Gaal went out, the leading men of Shechem, and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him. And he fled from him, and many fell wounded to the very entrance of the gate. Then Abimelech dwelt in Urim, and Zebul drove out Gaul and his brothers, so they would not dwell in Shechem. And it came about on the next day that the people went out into the field, and they told Abimelech. So he told his people to divide them in three companies, and laid in wait in the field. And he looked, and there was the people, there were the people coming out of the city, and he rose against them and attacked them. Then Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city. And the other two companies rushed upon all who were in the fields and killed them. So Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He took the city, killed the people who were in it. He demolished the city and sowed it with salt. Now when all the men of the tower of Shechem had heard that, they entered the stronghold of the temple of God Bereth. And it was told Abimelech that all the men of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. Then Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, and he and all the people who were with him, and Abimelech took an axe in his hand, cut down a, a bow from the trees, and took it and laid it on his shoulders. And then he said to the people who were with him, What you see me do, make haste and do as I have done. So the people, so each of the people likewise cut down his own bow and followed Abimelech, put them against the stronghold, and set the stronghold on fire above them. So all the people of the Tower of Shechem died, about a thousand men and women. This is just human beings. It's what people do. But this is the fulfillment of verse 22, where, and what Jotham said before that, that God sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem, and the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. God is bringing it to pass because it also said in verse 24 that their blood laid on Abimelech, their brother who killed them, and on the men of Shechem who aided him in the killing of his brothers. This brings up an interesting point because we know there's a, we talk about the blood in the Bible. We're told in Leviticus the life is in the blood. We're told when man sinned, the blood was shed for their covering. 
when Abel brought his offering, his righteous offering, Hebrews 11, the first righteous offering in the Bible, recorded for us from a New Testament perspective, he came with bloodshed. The life is in the blood, and the wages of sin is death, so someone must die. Throughout the Bible, we saw this in the, the Pentateuch when we were studying the books of Moses for the last two years, that innocent blood must be dealt with. Even with Saul later on, he has the sons that are executed because of the blood that he shed, the innocent blood of the Gibeonites, by not keeping the treaty that Joshua had made with them hundreds of years later. Listen, this is really important. Life is in the blood. God values life. So when you shed innocent blood, there's a consequence for it. When you shed innocent blood, there's a consequence for it. On the individuals, on a region, on a nation. It's just the way it is. And the problem with the people trying to run our universe right now, in opposition to Christ, is they think there's too many people on this planet. And they want to reduce the population of this planet. And they're willing to do that with shedding the blood of innocent people. That's what they're willing to do. These people who are trying to force everything upon us, according to their worldview. Remember, these are the same people who think there's 18 genders. They're telling us what science is concerning vaccines. These people are nuts. They're nuts. And the ultimate end game of all these people, these globalists, who are antichrist, is they want to depopulate the planet. They want less people on the planet. They're kind of like Hitler's eugenicists. When Hitler had the Jews and he did things, that they experimented on them. Even with the Nazis that ended up in Argentina, they did experiments on human beings for the subsequent years after World War II was over. Because Germans are super smart. They're really smart. All of our spaceships, the Apollos, was Germans, the Prussians. They're really smart, genetically, historically. Most of the great scientific discoveries, most of the great music, Mozart, Bach, German. And these globalists and their agenda against our country and against the church and against humanity because they're shedding innocent blood. And who knows what they've really conspired in the last couple of years? But we don't even have conspiracies anymore because everything's out in the open. They don't even care. But one thing we know about these people is they shed innocent blood. And they do it willfully and maliciously. So don't be moved by them because there can be no good end for them. There is no good end for anybody who conspires to shed innocent blood. And people who come against those who defend innocent blood. So in a universe where good is evil and evil is good, make sure that we stand on the side of innocent blood for your own soul, for your own conscience, for the conscience of Christ and the conscience of the church. So don't be swayed by evil people who twist lies into truth and twist truth into lies. It's insane what we're being subjected to right now on a global level. Just make sure that evil people don't move us from understanding truth, light, holiness, and life. Because the consequences in this chapter are principles for humanity until the Lord comes back. You shed innocent blood, it's going to come back on you. 
personally, a family, a nation, the human race. It's going to come back on us. China shedding all that innocent blood, all the persecution against religions and their intolerant communist society for the last 30 years. Look what's happening to them now. Their whole housing market's collapsing. They're losing 50% of their wealth. They are in a tailspin. They're in a recession. It's going to affect us all, the whole planet. You cannot shed innocent blood. All the abortions they did, all the injustices they did worldwide, all the conniving, and now look at China. And if you know what's going on with China, trust me, because I do know what's going on with China. Their economy is in a tailspin. That's what happens when you shed innocent blood. Has Germany ever recovered from World War II? No. Has France... You know, Louis the Sun King, before the French Revolution, he ruled the world, man. There's a reason the French used to kind of rule everything. They helped us win the Revolutionary War. We would not exist as a nation without the French. Lafayette and those guys bailed us out. It was the French who helped us win the Battle of Yorktown that helped us become a nation. Where are the French now? You think you can guillotine tens of thousands of innocent people, promote abortion, remove God from your society, and you think you can be anything in the year 2021? Look at the chaos France is in. They're so confused. They make America look functional. (laughs) They were once the world's greatest power, the French. But you shed innocent blood. You remove God from your country and your guidelines and your constitution and your system. Louis the Sun King is probably the greatest king of all time. After he died, France went to hell, literally, and has never been the same. Innocent blood is innocent blood. Whether you're Mongolians, Thai, Cambodians, Chileans, Americans, Japanese, whatever, innocent blood will always come back on those who shed it. So our application is to always esteem the value of life and have nothing to do with the death of the innocent, to be no collaborators with evil. Because even Paul said, I'm free from the guilt of the blood of all men. God through Ezekiel said, you live the truth, you declare the truth. If people reject it, the blood's on them. But if you hold it back, the blood's on you. That's a powerful text from the book of Ezekiel. And Paul took that concept And as he's being maligned and maliciously attacked in the book of Acts, he said, I am free from the blood of all men. I've been faithful to Christ. I've been faithful in my witness. I have a good conscience before God, and I am free of the blood of all men. May we be found free of the blood of all men. May the church of Jesus Christ and how we conduct ourselves and go forward in 2022 as a universal church on planet Earth be free from the blood of all men. Because when pastors and their wives and their leaders occupy the pulpit, and proclaim and support things that is the shedding of innocent blood. And those who do that, they bring bring great guilt on themselves and on their congregations and their movements. Let it not be found in this house or in our hearts. Because God will send a spirit of ill will. And God will hold everyone accountable for innocent blood shed in time and for sure eternity. And if we shed innocent blood, we need to repent of it. What Jotham said is exactly what happened. Abimelech 
destroy the people of Shechem in three years' time. And you can't go back and fix it. When your city is salted and your towers burned down and a thousand people are screaming and dying in anguish, that mayor, that city council, those civic leaders, they brought it on themselves when they allied themselves and collaborated with Abimelech. It looks so good on paper. But an evil beginning is always a destructive, demonic death end. Verse 50. Then Abimelech went to Thebes, and he encamped against Thebes and took it. But there was a strong tower in the city, and all the men and women, all the people of the city fled there and shut themselves in. Then they went up to the top of the tower. So Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it. And he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. Hey, it worked once. Why not try it twice? But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. And then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, draw your sword and kill me, lest men say of me, a woman killed me. So men are so prideful, even in death. So his young man thrust him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man to his place. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father, by killing his 70 brothers and all the evil, the men of Shechem, God returned on their own heads and on them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbabal. Make sure, WG, individually, collectively, body of Christ, all those who hear this message through podcasts, whatever, do not put yourself under the curse and the chasing of God. Honor all humanity. All lives do matter. All of them. All colors both genders, all languages, all dialects, healthy bodies, dysfunctional bodies, mentally strong, mentally incapacitated. Every life has meaning and purpose. And the body of Christ cannot be shifted from that for political convenience and social acceptance. We must be the last line of defense to defend defenses at all cost, Because the blood of Abimelech will come upon the people And those who align themselves with Abimelech, the blood will come upon them as well. No one gets away with evil, and they particularly don't get away with shedding innocent blood. Now, chapter 10 is short, and there's not a lot here, so we're going to get into it. Verse 1 of chapter 10. After Abimelech, and there's life after Abimelech, isn't there? There will be life after all that we're seeing right now. (laughs) I don't know what it'll look like, but there will be life after this. After Abimelech, there arose to save Israel, Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, a man of Iskar, and he dwelt in Shamir in the mountains of Ephraim. He judged Israel 23 years, and he died and was buried in Shamir. After him arose Jair, a Gilead, and he judged Israel 22 years. Now he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. They also had 30 towns, which are called Havath Jair, to this day, which are in the land of Gilead, and Jair died and was buried in Kaman. Well, it's like when you study U.S. presidents, and some are pretty insignificant, right? Like, you know, who can name presidents before Lincoln? Between, like, Jefferson, between Jefferson and Lincoln, well, Jackson, you know, there's, uh, what's it? I don't even know. Like, right? Like, there's, and then, like, between, like, after, let's go after U.S. Ulysses Grant, then you got, like, McKinley, and then you get, like, Roosevelt, like, Harding, what, you know, eventually you get Hoover, like, you get lost. Well, of course, who can forget Woodrow Wilson? League of Nations, way to go, bro. Um, and so, like, 
there's significant presidents and there's insignificant presidents. For example, no one thinks Gerald Ford was a very significant president, although he did bring what seemed to be a peace to our country after the whole Watergate, which all seems pretty moderate these days. Um, but there are profound presidents and there are insignificant presidents. These guys are insignificant. The one guy, just, he just reigned 23 years. Yeah, he lived 23 years. He was a judge. We don't know anything about him. I just find that interesting. Like, when the Holy Spirit, for all eternity, is recording the legacy of your life, it's like a funeral and no one can get up and say anything good. But usually there's not many people at those funerals. Because as many people you touch, they tend to reciprocate that. So if you live for yourself, you usually die by yourself. Trust me, in 33 years of ministry, if you live for yourself, you usually die by yourself. I've been there for those things. It's just insignificant. Now, maybe it's just an average life, and maybe this guy was a good guy. Maybe Tola was not a bad guy. But he's like the guy that had one mina. There's nothing about him. He didn't get one that got two, five that got ten. There's just nothing about There's nothing. Like when God is writing about your life for all eternity, don't you want to say something? Don't you want God to say something about your life? When the Holy Spirit is summarizing your life to your grandchildren, to the people that you impacted before you stepped into eternity, don't you want him to say something? Not what people say immemorial. What does God say immemorial? What does God say at the throne when you're standing before him? Don't you want him to say something? Do you want him just to say like, hey, he lived in the mountains and he lived 23 years and he died? Man, I want something more than that on the day of Christ Jesus, don't you? I sure do. Hey, you were knucklehead with this, but you did all right with that. I mean, I'd rather throw interceptions and cost us games and at least gone for the touchdown than have done nothing. You do nothing, you get nothing. For the one who has more is given, and even the one that has and doesn't do anything, even when he has, is taken from him. I just want, I want my life to be a lot more than 23 years of living and being buried and nothing to be said about me by the Holy Spirit. Now, you look at Jair, this is interesting. There's things said about him, but it's like, okay, he lived 22 years. So there's 45 years of two judges that have no profound significance, except this judge, he probably could have run your company. He probably was a CEO kind of guy, CFO kind of guy. Why? Well, he's got 30 kids, and each kid runs a village. Principle of multiplication. He built widgets and gidgets and he sold them and he broke even or ran a small profit. This guy has 30 sons, 30 villages. So I got at least given credit that he built his brand, for lack of a better term. He did something, right? He had kids and he had 30 kids that he made in charge of the family estate and the trust. He's a judge. He, he had some opportunity. He made some things happen. We don't know if he was a good judge. We don't see that the Spirit was upon him. We don't know if his 30 kids were good judges. But, you know, at least there was some organizational structure. He did something. He did something. And now we set the stage for the time of Jephthah and then Samson. Verse 6. Then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, the gods of the Philistines. They forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines, into the hands of the people of Ammon. Oh boy, here come the Philistines. From that year, they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel for 18 years. So you got 45 years of nothing leadership, 
and now you get 18 years of hardship, but they brought it on themselves. Again, verse 8. All the children of Israel who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of Ammonites, all the children of Israel who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites in Gilead, moreover the people of Ammon crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah also, against Benjamin, against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have both forsaken our God and served Baal. So they realized we've done the, the double no-no. We've sinned against God and we're serving Baal. Verse 11. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians, from the Amorites, and from the people of Ammon, and from the Philistines, also the Sidonians, and the Amalekites, and Moanites oppressed you? You cried out to me, I delivered you from their hand. Yet you've forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry out to the gods which you've chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. See how that works out. Verse 15. And the children of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Then the people of Ammon gathered together and encamped in Gilead. And the children of Israel assembled together and encamped in Mizpah. And the people of the leaders of Gilead said to one another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the people of Ammon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And we're going to see next week that God's going to raise up Jephthah. And then we're going to get to Samson around the corner. So this is a transitional chapter because you get these two judges, 45 years What you see is what you get. And then you get these years, these 18 years of what they brought upon themselves by rebelling against God. They did evil. He sold them over to them. He gave them over. They were severely distressed. Verse 9, they cry out. Then there in verse 13, God says, therefore I will deliver you no more. Verse 14, go and cry to the gods you've chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. Man, there is nothing quite like God giving someone over to their sin. Oh, you want to have a few drinks. You see how fast you go from a couple glasses of wine to a six-pack of beer to hard liquor. Oh, that, that, yeah, they make that look cool, that commercial. Yeah, that, that commercial during the football game, that looks pretty funny. Ha ha. But we all know what's really behind that stuff. Oh, that seems like it's no big deal. See where that takes you. That little lie, this little theft, these little things. The little things become big things. And if we're not going to serve the Lord and let him govern us, these other things will. And eventually when you're given over, there just comes a point you've had enough. And of course, I think of my sister Barbie. Because she got addicted to the uh, narcotics, the pharmaceutical drugs, the opioids. And then she's on the street homeless for years with her grocery, car- with her grocery cart, drinking alcohol and just out of her mind. And many of the people we see out there that are homeless are like that, but not all of them, so don't get me wrong on that one. But that, a lot of times, it's the way it is. And when you've had enough, you just cry out, and you've had enough. And that's what makes me so proud of my sister. She really did cry out, and she really did have enough. Two years in rehab houses. Rebuilt her life. A temp job to a full-time job. To a manager. To paying everything on time and managing the checkbook again. To own a home in Florida to building wealth, to being the salesperson of the month at Home Depot, Vero Beach, in October. I picture where she was sleeping in the dumpster in Vista five years ago when my mom took me there. 
Some people we love and care about that just keep going in a bad way, we got to just keep praying that God would bring them to the end of themselves and they would cry out. As long as someone's alive, there's hope for them. And though everyone else might lose hope, they might even give up hope. We can never, we just can't come to the place of judge and jury. We've said this many times of throwing people completely under the bus for all their bad decisions because today is a new day and his mercies are new every day. We're reminded here, we're praising Jesus, his mercies are new every day. We got Scott Cunningham leading us in songs that his mercies are new every day. And there are people out there who are going to wake up one day and that day is going to be the day they realize his mercies are new every day. And like my sister, they're going to do the next thing. They are going to go to rehab and they're not going to walk away this time. And they're going to slowly rebuild their lives. And God's going to restore the years that the locusts have eaten, even the swarming locusts. There comes a point when someone's at the end of themselves and they say, we've sinned and do whatever seems best only for us to stay. That is a place of brokenness, and that is a place where God begins to work in our lives and other people's lives. We want to be the most merciful people. It says they put away their foreign gods. This is the day you just put it away. This is the day they put it away. And that's the day where the healing really begins. We need to see that day, because Jesus wants that day in our lives and the people around us. He wants that day. He's working by his spirit for that day. And we are his ambassadors. And we're the agents by which he's helping to bring that day. My mom never gave up on my sister. She would always tell me, Joe, God can work in this situation. I learned so much from that. These people were so evil, but they were finally so broken. And God did respect them, and help them to go forward. We want to be a part of that. Because we're the church. We're his hands, we're his feet. We bring Jesus. His grace, his kindness, his empathy, his mercy. We throw no one under the bus. We cheer not when bad things happen to bad people. Love hopes all things, bears all things, believes all things, because the love of Christ never fails. Let that be the mark of our lives as we're moving toward 2022.